God's Love Language, a podcast designed for Christian discipleship with emphasis on developing our relationship and fellowship with God. Now, here is our host, Joe Enlow. Hallelujah. Can you hear me? I can hear you, I think. Greetings, folks. Welcome back to God's Love Language with Joe and Lowe. I hope today's podcast finds you blessed and growing as a Christian. Today's episode is part three in a series about relationships and fellowship with God and our human counterparts, our fellow humans. Part four, which will be the final episode, will be released in August, the first Tuesday in August. The first episode on this series was number 15, which covered the biology, specifically the neurobiology of the need for and effects of having relationships on your human body. It's very important to understand this neurobiological view. It explains how God created us to respond to him and others biologically, neurologically. Also, how we grow from our interactions with him and others and how we interpret and respond to our environments. In the second episode in this series, which was number 16, I finished up with the neurobiological aspect and then went on to discuss the psychological need for relationships. If you have not listened to these two episodes, I would encourage you to do so before listening to this one, as they set the stage for understanding this and the last episode next month on why God created the need for relationships and fellowship with him and other humans. God has a specific purpose and design for relationships with him first, and then with others. Remember, he is love, and love is active and living and needs to be expressed and reciprocated. Amen? Let's get started. We found out in episode 15, our episodes 15 and 16, as well as our episode on the biology of belief, which was episode 4, that our genetics are only our template for the construction of the structures of the nervous system. Now, they've done a lot of research on genetics, and that's what they've determined. These structures are basically unaffected by experience, with the exception of maybe exposure to diseases, toxins, and trauma. The second level of genetic involvement, called genetic transcription, controls the experience-dependent aspects of the brain's development by allowing the brain to be shaped and reshaped by learning. The old debate about whether it's nature or nurture that makes you who you are, well, it's been settled. It is both, but with nurture experience being the most influential in a healthy individual. The good news about all this is you can always change. You can renew your mind, as the Bible tells us to do as when we become Christians. You can make changes to the way you think and act until the day you die. In other words, you can teach an old dog new tricks. Now that science is catching up with the Word of God in this area, why would God make the brain and body to work this way? To find our answer to this, we must first understand to the best of our ability, who God is. Along with my own beliefs, 
I will also use the ideas of some of the best-known scholars in theology and the corresponding sciences. Who is God, and how do I get to know him? Since this is a discipleship podcast, I assume that everyone listening is a Christian and believes that God exists. That point will not be argued here. What we want to know is, what does the Word tell us and imply about who God is and how to have a relationship with Him? As Christians, you have taken the first and most important step, accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That is only the beginning of our journey and life's purpose. A relationship and fellowship with God, that is all that Jesus desired while here on earth, so should we. Also, be encouraged. God prompted you to seek him, not the other way around. He desires to have a relationship and fellowship with you. So you don't have to worry about if he likes you or he cares about you because he does. He sought you out. Many Christians only operate in that first stage of Christianity, though. They accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, then kind of settle contently with being saved and doing a little good Here and there, good things when an opportunity occurs. It is safe and secure there, and it really does not require much of a life change. But life change is what being a Christian is all about. When you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that means you will do his will and obey what he wants you to do. That is where the rubber meets the road and where many Christians hesitate. Well, I didn't sign up for this. I just want to be saved. I don't want to go to hell. But this is where the fruit-bearing, so often mentioned in the New Testament, occurs when you put feet to your faith. Where renewing the mind happens, it's where you do the will of God, and where the ultimate reason for our creation occurs, it is where God gets glorified through the fruit that you bear for him. We are God's senses on earth, and we We're not created to sit idly by. We are to be imagers of God, have dominion, be fruitful and multiply, and to spread the good news of the gospel, of salvation. That is what having a relationship and fellowship with God is at its core definition. God made it easy, by the way, he designed us biologically and psychologically, easy if you desire it. There are two key positions that theologians take When it comes to knowing God, one is to us as humans, it is impossible to fully comprehend God. Our minds cannot process full understanding of him with our human limitations. The second position is God is knowable. He can be known. It is like knowing your parents or your spouse. You can know them and know them well by human standards, but it is impossible to fully comprehend who they are based on every single experience and reaction to those experiences that has shaped them into who they are today or were. It's even more complex with God. Now, there are some scriptures, Job 11.7, Isaiah 40.18, John 14, 7, and 1 John 5, 20, that kind of bear this out. It must also be pointed out that what you know about God is acquired differently than all other knowledge. You cannot know anything about God unless he chooses to reveal it to you. 
Charles Rari, in his book, Basic Theology, puts it this way. If God did not initiate the revelation of himself, there would be no way for man to know him. Therefore, a human being must put himself under God, who is the object of his knowledge. And other scholarly endeavors, when we do the experiments and so forth, the human being often places himself or herself above the object of his investigation, but not so in the study of God. You, as a Christian, have been called and chosen by God, and therefore he is willing to reveal himself to you. All you must do is ask. Then you pursue him through daily study, prayer, investigation of his creation. That'll tell you a lot about him. The Holy Spirit will then guide you and teach you. As Rari reminds us, to know facts about a person without knowing the person is limiting. Think about a favorite historical individual. Mine would, mine would be King David. I can know facts about him, but I don't really know him, so I have limits. Rari Arsel says, to know a person without knowing facts about them is shallow. Some of you did not listen to my first two episodes where I gave facts about myself. Just listen, listening to any of my podcasts after those first two, you would not understand who I really am. God has revealed many facts about himself, all of which are important in making our personal relationship with him close, intelligent, and useful. Had he only revealed facts without making it possible to know him personally, such factual knowledge would have little, certainly not eternal, usefulness. Just as with human relationships, a divine human relationship cannot begin without knowledge of some minimal truths about the person. Then the personal relationship generates the desire to know more facts, which in turn deepens the relationship and so on. This is what is known as fellowship. The deeper and closer the relationship, normally the deeper and closer the fellowship. A knowledge about God should deepen our relationship with him, which in turn increases our desire to know him more, to know more about him. We have the same basic desires to get to know other humans. You see it. We are, if we get interested in them, we desire to know them more. That is how God made us biologically. You take one step, it switches on the desire to take the next step, and so on. Why would God create anything? Why does he want our fellowship? The whole idea of God creating any creatures, whether in heaven or on earth, especially with all the difficulties he experienced with both types of creations, spiritual beings and humans, does not seem to fit the idea of a great and mighty God, at least not after each of them rebelled. Why put up with the rebellion, the hate, the disobedience? Heck, why not just create them to obey. Why must there be a choice of good or evil? Why must evil exist at all? Heck, why must love exist at all? Because it sure does hurt sometimes. God had Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Why would he need more company than that? There are so many questions we could have concerning God and the whys of what he created. Their answer is just as obvious. God doesn't need a heavenly counsel, but it's scripturally clear that he has one. What does God need with people? The answer is the same. God doesn't need people, but he uses them. 
God is not dependent on humans for his plans. God doesn't need us for evangelism. He could save all the people he wanted to by merely thinking about it. God could terminate evil and bring human history to the end he desires at any moment, but he doesn't. Instead, he works his plan for all things on earth by using human beings. He's also not incomplete without our worship, but he still desires it. As God was challenged by Satan in the book of Job, where Satan believed Job would turn on God if God took away his favor and protection of Job, I have a feeling that Satan probably said the same thing about humanity after our creation. Satan would have laughed at the idea that given the free choice of good and evil, any human would choose to worship and obey God, especially with no concrete evidence of God's existence, no immediate gratification and having to love others the way we are commanded. Things like love our enemies, forgiveness, we got to forgive people who hurt us. Come on. How about turning the other cheek? We have to turn the other cheek. How about being willing to die for someone? It all goes against our sinful nature. And so just the very idea that we would choose God because of that is hard to believe. To a point, if this scenario did occur, Satan would have been right. Humans did choose disobedience, but just like with Job, Christians come through using the defeat of Satan by Jesus on the cross Job just believed God and who he was and that he was in charge and it wasn't about him. Satan being evil and only having toxic, fraudulent love for himself underestimates the power of godly love and the way humans were constructed. Satan gives worldly gifts, immediate gratification for worship of him, and eventually eternal damnation. God promises heavenly rewards He promises to be with us as we live this life, and he promises eternal life. All we must do is escape the hold and the lies that Satan has on us by acting according to our faith and the way we were created. There is something that happens to us when we live for God according to his blueprint. It's a peace and harmony that surpasses all understanding, and I would think it would blow Satan's mind. Getting back to the whys of creation, the only way to even begin to understand any answers to questions like these is to return to the point I have made in several of my previous podcasts, especially episode 10, Losing a Loved One Unexpectedly, and that is to see everything from God's point of view, through God's eyes, folks. We must understand that creation of spiritual beings and human beings was for His pleasure. It is not about you. But we are able to reap the benefits of a relationship and fellowship with him. You would expect that from love, someone who loves us. God is love. Love isn't love if there is no one to receive that love. Love demands that it interacts with others. Love grows when it interacts with others. Just like the cells within us grow with our interaction and experience with God and others and our environment. 
It sets our religion apart from all other religions. Nowhere else does the founder of religion seek out its creation for relationship and fellowship, sacrifice his son, his only son, and then guarantee benefits for obedience and a chance to be immortal when all is said and done. Since God is love, he is happiest and glorified most when he shares that love. Basically, that is his personality. It's love. It allows him to be glorified, to be God. When his love glorifies himself, that's what God is, is love. That's why he gives so many commandments about loving. Imagine having all the power, the glory, honor, and praises in the world, the universe. What would you do with it? Because of whom God is, love He chooses to allow us to partake in all of it, to share with us, using us as instruments, as imagers to the world, and then we are in line to receive all that he has as an inheritance, as adopted children of God. The more obedient to his will, the more reward, the more love he showers on us. We can never outgive him. Our deliberate act of obedience to God's will is elevated because while we have a choice not to obey, while we can choose to act accordingly to our sinful nature, act according to our own selfish desires, act according to our will, we put all that aside to obey his will, just like Jesus did, to bring glory to him. Dwight Edwards, founder of Revolution Within, put it this way, God wins our affections, gains our worship, and garnishes our praise through something far more powerful than earthly goods. He bowls us over by who he is, pure and simple, breathtaking holiness, astonishing grace, incomparable love, and a host of other white, hot attributes compel us to pursue God just for the unrivaled treasure and pleasure of intimate relationship. And one of our greatest privileges before the seen and unseen world is to loudly proclaim by our lives that God is worthy of our obedience and affection, even if the only thing we get on this planet is him. Okay, that concludes this episode. Join us next month, August 3rd, the first Tuesday of the month for part four, the conclusion of our series on relationships and fellowships. In that episode, I will talk about, as a created imager of God, how to have a deeper relationship with God, how we should respond to him, and how and why we have relationships and fellowship on earth. Then we summarize it all. Until then, May God bless you and keep you. May your relationship with him grow closer and may you have or may you be overjoyed by your fellowship with him. God bless. Thank you for listening to today's teaching. If you would like more information about our podcast and subject matter or if you would like to leave a comment, go to godslovelanguage.com. Or you may email Joe at jnlow at godslovelanguage.com. 